A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How are you all doing today? Well, big announcement. We are heading into my annual two-week summer break. So this is the last episode you're going to have from me for two weeks. And then I will be back on the 24th of July. I'll be back with, I've got Fiona Cummins and Claire McIntosh coming on that episode. So back with a punch and we will have the usual Friday episodes after that as well. So you do have two weeks without listening to me drone on. Um, but I will, as I say, be back straight after that. Just a bit of a break. But you find me trying to choose what books I'm going to take on holiday. And originally I'd said, well, my husband had said, you know, now you've you've used the Kindle a bit more. Why don't you just bring the Kindle? And I thought to myself, yeah, I'll just bring the Kindle and this will be amazing. Less luggage, blah, blah. Then I remembered I do like to read while sitting in the pool. It is a thing of mine, particularly when it's really hot, just sit immersed in the pool with my head sticking out my arms and read a book. So I went book shopping and I'm very lucky. I had a lot of book vouchers that I'd been saving up. I wanted to just take on holiday books that were my choosing, that I bought, not ones that I'd been sent to review is often the, the case. I know I'm very fortunate with that, but it's just I just like when I'm on holiday for them to be books that I have chosen myself. So I went round, I chose some and Came back, got some more, another bookshop. Okay, between you and me, <laughs> your girl's got 25 books that she's taking on holiday. Now, I am away for 15 days, so I think I need a book for every day and some other options because, you know, every day you feel differently. Well, I do. So some days I might like a particular type of book. Another day I might like another type of book. But yeah, I am thinking 25. My family have been saying, you can't take 25 books. And someone said, are you going to put that in your hand luggage? I said, if I have to, I in my hand luggage, I will have 25 books and my HRT tablets. That's all I need. I'm fine on my phone. But I don't know how I'm going to fit this in. As I said to them, some people choose to buy shoes and take lots of shoes on holiday. I'll go without. Obviously, I'll take some shoes, but I'm not going to take the plethora of choices that I might normally if it means I get my books, I just love I'm very excited. I wasn't excited about going away. It's really odd. I don't I don't enjoy the big the before going on holiday. I get very anxious about everything I've got to do, the organising work, the dog, the house. I don't know. I just I don't enjoy the the prequel to the holiday. But having these books now, I'm excited and I can't wait. So 
there we are. Those that's that's where we are today. But enough about me. I've got some incredible books that I want to talk to you about. Incredible books. And I can't wait. So which books am I reviewing today? Well, the first one is Fearless by M. W. Craven. Yes, Mike Craven. And Mike's very kindly coming on to talk to us about this amazing book. The next book is The Beast of Paris by Steph Penny. And Steph's going to come on and talk to us about that book. Then we've got All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby. Need to talk to you about that book. The Fascination by Essie Fox. And finally, Forever Home by Graham Norton, which I listened to on audiobook. As I say, some brilliant books. Let's start with Fearless by M.W. Craven. Now, we love the books by M.W. Craven. We love in particular the Tilly and Poe series. So when it was announced that Mike was doing a standalone or the start of a new series, I was a bit sort of like, oh, it won't be the same. It won't. But honestly, if you love how he writes the Tilly and Poe series, I think you're going to love this. Yes, it's set in America, completely different type of story, but it's it's great. Listen to the blurb on this. Ben used to head the US Marshals Special Operations Group. His team hunted the bad guys, the really bad guys, and he could find anyone until the day he himself disappeared. He's now been on the run for six years, but his face is suddenly on every television screen in the country. A woman has gone missing and her father desperately needs his help. The trail leads him to a small town in the burning heat of the desert, where some people have a secret they'll do anything to protect. But he has a secret of his own, a unique condition that makes him unable to feel fear. And they're about to find out what a truly fearless man is capable of. I, as, as you can tell, I love this book so very much. I was gripped. I kept reading. Not a word is wasted in this. And yes, people have said, oh, if you're a fan of Jack Reacher, the Lee Child books, you'll love this. I, I wish I was so much of a fan, but sometimes I don't enjoy reading those books as much as I should. But this... I really did. I cared about the characters. I was fully immersed, involved. Uh, it, sorry, Lee Child. This is better. Fearless is better. It's beating Jack Reacher. Anyway, enough about me. Let's talk to Mike now. Well, it is my huge pleasure to welcome back to the podcast the one and only M.W. Craven, whose latest book is Fearless, Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Fulber. Well, when I first met you to hear more about this book, it was quite cold. I remember being very chilly in London, and yet today we're talking, and it's about 28, 29 degrees, so slight extremes. It's, it's a hot one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I've, been I've been working all morning because I've been doing a few interviews and I've got work to do, but it's it's absolutely sweltering, isn't it? I mean, it's about 25 degrees inside the house and our, our house is quite well insulated, so yeah. Yes, quite quite different, but never mind. It, the heat of this book is also there <laughs> for us to behold. That's a terrible link, but anyway, can we start by you reading us a little bit about this book, the first few sentences? Yeah, certainly. I haven't practiced this, so forgive me, everyone. Six was kind of an insult. It wasn't enough. I thought they were going to need a bigger boat. It's a line from Jaws. The sheriff says it when he sees the great white shark for the first time, when he sees how big it is. It's now an idiom for being outmatched, like how over the moon means happy, or break a leg means good luck. So when I saw there were only six of them, that's what I thought. They were going to need a bigger boat. 
Then again, it was a small town. Maybe six was all they could spare. Maybe six was everyone. And it was an urgent operation. Panicked even. Had to be. If it wasn't, Wayne County wouldn't be doing it. They'd be relegated to cordon control. This had been a hasty phone call, followed by an even hastier order. Do it now before he moves. We don't have the luxury of waiting for reinforcements. In the meantime, we're scrambling everyone we have. Brilliant. It's always good to hear the author read it. Thank you very much for that. So let's start with the real basics. Can you summarise this gem of a book for us? Yes. Ben Koenig is my new character. Actually, he's a, a very old character, but I'll get into that later. No doubt. He is living off the grid, but he, he has to live off the grid. There's a reason for that, which I won't go into because it's not really revealed until about the first third of the book. He has a unique condition and it is unique and it's a real condition, which means he cannot feel fear, which is a hindrance just as much as a, it's a help in the line of the things that he gets himself into. At the start of the book, the paragraph I just started, an old friend has reached out to him. He's he's used the marshal's most wanted list to get hold of him. And he has a very special task for him to do. And only Ben Koenig could do this task. And then cue Koenig running through a bunch of bad guys like a wrecking ball. All good fun. Lots of violence. It's absolutely brilliant. I was just saying, you are so irritating because you write brilliant crime books based in the UK. And now you've just pulled out the bag with a thriller based in the US. I mean, can you turn your your trick to any type of writing, Mike? Is it going to be punk rock horror genre in there? I, I do actually have a YA book in the pipeline at some point. Oh. It's called Buckle Jones and the Sarcastic Shrunken Head. So you can probably guess what age range it's in. Huh. And at some point I might finish it. But really, I mean, I don't... I, I don't know how much more they can publish from me. There's, we're already struggling to get everything out that's been, that's been written. I think for now, I'll just I'll just be sticking to this, and and the post series. Yes, we hope you do. Well, tell us a bit more about this main character, Ben Koenig. Give us a bit more of an idea of how he comes to be fearless. Well, he has a condition called Urbach Wife. I think that's how you pronounce it, which is, like I said, it's a real condition. It's a, a disease of the brain, a certain part of the brain. And I won't embarrass myself by trying to say it, but it's the part of the brain that affects the flight or fight response. Now, it's an incredibly rare condition. And in most of those conditions, I think it's over 99% of those conditions, the people who have it have a become hypersensitized to fear. They can't leave the house. Uh, they become shut-ins because they are literally scared of everything. But, and I think there's only been two or three documented cases of this, in, in extreme circumstances, it goes the other way, and the person loses that emotion, the fear emotion, completely. So they actually don't recognise dangerous situations. They they just don't, they, they can't do it. So it's not a bravery thing. It's 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 an absence of bravery, almost. There's there's no bravery needed, because they, they, don't, see, they don't see danger like uh, you or I would. So that's the premise that we've had. His condition was unknown to him until he was injured, because he used to be a marshal. He's injured in an operation. He gets a, a bullet fragment um, under his helmet, which me, he, has a, um, he has to have an operation just to check. And at that point, they realise that he's actually got something wrong with his brain, and it's a deteriorating condition. And it sort of explains a few things that were going on, why he was being a little bit reckless at the time. Um but instead of benching benching him, which really they should, because the, the, he's he's walking around with the gun, so he's he's a liability. They they go a different way, and I won't actually say what that way is, but um, it gives him certain skills that he wouldn't 
you wouldn't ordinarily have. And it's it's a brilliant read. You don't waste a word. It's got, as you say, it's got all the action in. It's got characters you really care about and are intrigued about. Was there one particular film or book that inspired this or was it from a whole range of different things? A few weeks ago, I had an email from uh, Google saying your inbox is full. I had to be really bad at admin to get that kind of email from Google. I mean, I'd never had one before in all my time. So, I mean, it was basically full of, <laughs> it had never been emptied. So I did some sort of tidying around and I, I um, sorted my files into size because that's the quickest way of doing it, obviously, and just deleting the top ones. And I found this manuscript from 2014, the original Fearless. It wasn't called Fearless then, it was called something else. I started writing it in 2013, I think. When I was at work, in my lunchtimes, when I was still with probation. So this is before Poe ever existed. At that time, I did it for two reasons. A, I was really enjoying the, the Jack Reacher books. Um, I was really into Jack Reacher at the time. And I just met Lee Child um, at the debut dagger, when I, when I was shortlisted for the debut dagger in 2013. And I wanted to write something, only for myself, nobody was supposed to see this, in the first person, present tense, which was what, I, what was originally written in. I quickly realised that present tense didn't really work for me at all. Some some authors love it. I, I personally didn't. And then I sort of forgot about it completely until I signed with David, um, my, my agent, and I wrote him the first Poe book. And I said, look, I've got this thing. What do you think? And he said, let's just concentrate on Poe. And we did. And then it, during the COVID crisis, during the first lockdown, my editor sent me an email saying, agents aren't sending me stuff anymore. Have you got anything? Have you written anything I haven't read? So I sent her this quite rough manuscript from 2014. I didn't even tell my agent I had. And she said, can you change it to a UK setting? I said, no, you haven't read it. She said, I have. I said, you haven't, because there's no way that book can be set in the UK. Forget that. But then she also sent it off to a thriller editor, she knows, just to get his take on it. Um, he came back and said, yes, buy this. So they did. At that point, it was still quite rough. We worked in it for a bit. And it wasn't until Flatiron in the US got involved and they wanted it as the start of a series so they needed um, character development for some secondary characters like Jen and a, a couple of others that's when it really took on a life of its own and became this sort of thing that because otherwise they would they wouldn't have been all this big flash thing with hardback proofs and all this thing it would have just been slipped out like they did with the flute books it would have been a January paperback release no doubt. But now it's a big thing and it's a simultaneous release in the US and everything. And it's got out of hand, really. <laughs> in a good way. But th so this is actually something we have COVID to thank for. This is the yes, one benefit yes. of COVID. It, and also I got my internet sorted, my broadband sorted. So there's two things. Um, <laughs> two good but, yeah. How much trouble did you get in with your agent for not telling them before you sent it off? I have a quite close relationship with my editor. I don't, I don't, I speak to my editor. I don't always just go through. I mean, some agents just say, you should have no contact. Go through me for everything. Me and David aren't like that. He's quite happy. He, he trusts me just to speak to whoever I need to speak to. And if I need to refer to him for things, I will. The one thing I he does say to me is don't agree to anything when I'm speaking to people because i've got a tendency just to say yes i'll do that that sounds excellent and then i'll say i've got no time how am i going to do that david so yeah so he he was, he was fine with it because it just got tagged on the end of a contract for not a lot of money to be honest compared to what the po books were getting and then Flatiron bought two in the series little brown had only bought one because there was only one 
then Little Brown had to scrabble to catch up to buy the second one. But by then it was a big thing, so they had to pay proper money for the second one, which was, I'm sure, was annoying for my for my editor. But yeah, so and then Hollywood got involved, and there was a whole there was a whole thing in with um, Los Angeles, which was pretty crazy. And here we are. It's just um, yeah. Well, we're looking forward to seeing how, what people think of it. So I mean, readers' reactions has been very positive so far and fellow authors reactions have been very positive so well hopefully it'll it'll find its own audience yeah i mean it's just it's brilliant so you mentioned about hollywood can you give us any any information yet on what's going to happen no i'm, I'm yeah i mean it's well it's on hiatus at the minute because of the writer's strike but it's going ahead we've got i've actually spoke to the writer the writer's done his first bit he's actually fulfilled his bit of the contract but the writer's strike has meant i haven't actually seen what seen what he's done it's going to be a series i'm not allowed to say who with um but there was a big there was a lot of competition for it and the the people who won it in the end uh, had to work hard i think we're probably looking at eight episodes the actors that were mentioned um, it was some of the biggest names that you've heard of was like uh, ryan goslin and florence Pugh and rebecca ferguson and Channam Tatum, uh, all these, it's like some absolutely huge. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was funny actually because I had all these meetings with them, and that was the only question I could think to ask. The uh, agent who was representing the, my interests on the TV and film side was asking questions about showrunners and executive producers and blah, all this like stuff. And because it was like a job interview, really, but it was sort of they were pitching to me, but then they said, Have "You got any questions?" And I know, mm, no, so I. <laughs> I, I thought I best ask something. The only question I could ask, so I just ended up asking them all, was who do you have in mind to cast it? And because they were all like trying to get on my good side, they were just basically saying the biggest, like, oh, Robert Downey Jr. And like, all right, all right calm down, calm down. It was pretty surreal that, that summer. Oh, yes, I bet. Well, that's enough for us to go on. It's going to be massive. I suppose the only thing I would ask, you mentioned it's looking like it's going to be eight episodes. Is that for sort of book one? And then, yeah. Yeah. They've only got the rights to book one. They don't have to actually use it, but if they want, because I've just submitted book two to my both editors, and it'll be probably out at the same time next year, I imagine. My schedule is a bit up for grabs at the minute because they're still trying to work out how to get the post series out as well, because we haven't forgotten about the post series. Um, so whoever has bought it, if they want to use book two as well, they will have to buy that. So you did mention Tilly and Poe. There are a lot of people that will be sobbing that they haven't got a Tilly and Poe this year, but you say you've not forgotten them. Yeah, I mean, the next one was, well, it was written before Fearless, actually. I, I finished it back end of 2021, called The Mercy Chair. It's up for pre-order now. I, um, the publication date might change. It's currently up for March 24. I don't know if that will actually stick. It's the darkest book I've done so far. It's oddly the best, I think, as well. Um, and I'm writing the next one. I'm writing post seven as we speak. That's that's the job I'm doing at the minute. So I'll have that submitted by the end of the year, hopefully. And my contract has po eight. Whether that stays as po eight or turns into Koenig three, I don't know. But at the minute, it's po po eight. So there's going to be at least another three coming. And I'm not stopping now, even if the Koenig thing really takes off and becomes massive. I'm still going to write the post series because that's. I, I love writing it. It's not like the same with the Fluke series. I mean, all right, the Fluke series was fun to write, but and there's a dedicated audience, but it's not a massive audience for it. But, I mean, it's a bit of a global readership with the Post series. I mean, we're out in 27 
languages now, I think, with the post series, which is pretty extraordinary. Though. And I'm sure as people read Fearless and might not have read your other books, that could be the door that opens them to Poe and Tilly. Absolutely, well. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's the the hope because they've they've made the first five books all the way up to the botanist available in the states, and they're hoping that people buy Fearless and then go back and see oh, what else has he written. Um, even if it's just to like delete them off their Amazon account so they never buy them by accident, you never know. Yeah, I, I think we're hoping. That, I mean, it, it's it's a standard thing anyway. When you release a book, your backlist gets a boost anyway. That that just happens. It's normally about fifty fifty. Fifty percent of your sales are from the new book, and fifty percent oh, backlist. It's yeah, because a lot of people buy the new one and then they want to start at the beginning, like the sound of the new one. I think we're well, actually, and I, I I'm sort of like that as well. If I see a book that sounds excellent and I read the first bit and I thought actually this is excellent I'll, I'll put it down and I'll go back and start at the beginning okay your question is tomorrow you have to imagine that a film of Ben Koenig is being made and a film also on the same day of Poe and Tilly is being made mm -hmm. and you have to play the part of one of them Poe or Ben which door would you push open? Would it be Ben or would it be Poe? I think Poe. I know Poe a lot better because there's a lot of me in Poe. There's very little of Ben Koenig in me. There's very little of anyone in Ben Koenig. I could, I could play Poe a little bit easier. Possibly, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't expecting that question, to be honest. Yeah. It depends where you're going to film it. I mean, if, um, if, if you say we're going to film on location, then, I mean, I live in Cumbria, so that's going to be no fun. I'll choose... <laughs> I'll choose Ben and go to uh, where we go to Texas and where else do you go to Washington? Well, actually, Cumbria sounds better than both those places. I suppose. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> well, we'll go with Poe for that one. We've known you for a few years, Mike, but there must be something that we don't know about you. What fact would very loyal readers perhaps not know about you? Um, used to keep a pet crocodile, I suppose. I mean, some readers do know that because it's. It is on my some profiles where where is, um, and some I used to keep poisonous snakes. I did not know that. I'm gonna call that a win. Yeah, I had to get a dangerous wild animals license off the council, and vets had to inspect my premises and things like that. Cause it's it's very highly regulated in the in the in the UK. But yeah, because I mean I, I was breeding snakes. I was um, commercially at the time because I've always loved reptiles anyway. That's wrong. I was breeding a thousand a year. So yeah, so I I had about a hundred breeding pairs of snakes and, and things. I, got a, I had a big house, and yeah. And at that point, I thought, well, I've got a big room. It's heated anyway because the snakes need to be heated. I quite fancy a crocodile, so me having impulse control of somebody with very little impulse control, I said, I'm going to go and buy a crocodile. How do I do that? Uh, it turns out it was quite a laborious process, but as soon as I'd sort of committed to the pet shop, that get me a crocodile, my, my specialist reptile shop. I didn't just go into like Pets UK. Then I was sort of committed to the whole the whole process, so I had to like jump through all the council hoops and the vet hoops and, and and various things. Wow. Well, I'm very glad that Poe had a dog or has a dog and not a reptile. That. That would change the stories somewhat. Yeah, I mean, there's probably reptiles on Shapfell where he lives, because there is up up here on on the higher on the higher fells. Um, you get um, you, you get some uh, common lizards, not not so many adders on this side of the, the Pennines, but maybe the odd grass snake. Well, we come to our final question, which is the one we ask all authors, Mike. What biscuit were you eating when you were writing Fearless? What biscuit powered? that book it was probably a cookie 
just to get just to get me into the mindset. I mean, every now and then, you know, you go to supermarkets or you go to delis or or whatever shop you happen to get your food, and sometimes they'll just have like a, a big paper bag with like five big massive cookies in. You think, oh, oh yeah, well, I've deserved that. I've done absolutely nothing, but you'll tell yourself you deserve it, even though you've done absolutely <laughs> dick all to deserve it. So yeah, and every now and then I get them because um, my wife uh, eats sensibly and properly. Um, I end up eating all five by myself. <laughs> uh, I limit myself to one a day, triple chocolate. And does that work? No. Oh, oh, well, that's brilliant. It's just a pleasure to talk to you and hear all about this truly brilliant book, Fearless. M.W. Craven, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Coming up, another author interview and more book reviews. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, let's get straight on to the next book, which is The Beast of Paris by Steph Penny. Let me read you the blurb of this. Well, there's a very simple blurb, actually. <laughs> Paris, 1870. The city of beauty and light is under siege. As the flames of war spread, can love and life arise from the ashes? 
it is a little bit more than that. Let me read you the full blurb. In Paris, 1870, three wandering souls find themselves in a city set to descend into war. Anne is a former patient from a women's asylum trying to carve out a new life for herself in a world that doesn't understand her. Newcomer Lawrence is desperate to develop his talent as a photographer and escape the restrictions of his puritanical upbringing. Ellis, an army surgeon, has lived through the trauma of one civil war and will do anything to avoid another bloodbath. Each keeps company with the restless beasts of Paris's menagerie, where they meet, fight their demons, lose their hearts and rebel in a city under siege. Wow. Let's go and talk to Steph now. Well, it is my huge pleasure to welcome to the podcast today, Steph Penny, whose latest truly fantastic book is called The Beasts of Paris. Steph, welcome to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for me oh well it's wonderful to talk to you it really is and just to hear more about this incredible book now we always start with a little bit of a reading so I wonder if I could trouble you to read us a little bit of a section of the book pretty near the start yeah sure so this is not the very beginning there's one of the main characters who's called Anne Petitjean she has a rather as yet mysterious background but one of her favorite things is to visit the zoo in the Jardin des Plantes in Paris. So this is set in 1870. And she's just been approached and rather clumsily flirted with by the assistant vet in the zoo, whose name is Victor, which rather alarms her. So she then sort of leaves. Anne knew the names of all the animals, at least of those important enough to have been granted names. The zoo giants had names. The elephants were Castor and Pollux. The rhinoceros, Muriel. They were like headline actors at the theatre. The other animals were members of the chorus. It wasn't just a matter of size. Mostly, if you ate other animals, you were given a name. The antelopes and bison, grass eaters that lived in peaceable herds, didn't have names. But the zebras and the quagga, the solitary freak that looked like an experiment and made her feel sad, did. The lemmings didn't have names nor did the various small brown desert creatures. As for the birds, through the whole rainbow of gaudy parrots and turacos, down to the smallest finch, they were nameless. Anne sometimes thought that where she lived, the women were like small herbivorous creatures. Men were predators, important and memorable. Women were prey, like lemmings, or like the birds that so many visitors walked past without even stopping. Sometimes noisy, occasionally decorative, but not individually of interest. Unless you paid the closest attention, you couldn't even tell them apart. Most women, certainly most of the women in the hospital where she lived and worked, were like the sparrows of Paris, ubiquitous, inconsequential, their voices a nondescript background blur. She, Anne Petitjean, was unusual because she had a name that had acquired a certain notoriety. Granted, the name she was known by was not the name she had been given at birth nor was it one she had chosen for herself. Still, to be known by anything at all, surely that was something. Well, thank you so much. It's lovely to hear you read those words. That was great. Well, the first question I've got to ask you, we've heard that amazing reading. Can you give us a little summary about this book? I will try, yes. It's set during the Franco-Prussian War of 1870, the Siege of Paris, which was part of that war, and then the Paris Commune, which 
happened a couple of months after the end of the war. And it's all set in Paris. The main characters are, there are three people who are inhabitants of Paris. One is a US Army surgeon who is a veteran of the, of the US Civil War and he's desperate to avoid any more bloodshed. As a young Canadian photographer who's trying to sort of find his artistic way in Paris. And the third person is Anne Petitjean, a woman who starts out as a hysteric in the women's hospital, La Salle Petrière, but she ends up somewhere very different. And these three, and all the inhabitants of Paris at the time, are put through the ringer as the city is besieged by the Prussian army. Over a terrible winter, first the fuel runs out and then food. They can't go anywhere. They have to queue up for, for bread. Then there is a bloodless revolution, the first sort of socialist progressive government in history really takes over, and that is the Paris Commune, until it is brutally crushed by the, the forces of order. Yeah, there's so much to include, but what what was the nub, what was the inspiration for this story? What was the kernel that triggered it all? I found out actually not that long ago, but I sort of something I kind of vaguely knew was that my great grandfather had been trapped in the siege of Paris when he was a student. And that's kind of all I know. And um, my dad used to say that he'd eaten rats in the siege of Paris, but he never got to meet his grandfather, unfortunately. So we don't know anything else but this fascinating idea that this young Scottish trainee accountant was in Paris and got stuck there and was a sort of bystander and an onlooker in this very turbulent time and I was I was always really fascinated by the Paris Commune because it is such a sort of seminal piece of socialist history. I think I used to think about it in this very romantic way which kind of the romance gets really scrubbed away when you do your research and you find out how really truly horrendous it was it's I mean it's it's such an extraordinary piece of history and I'm I'm still astonished that it hasn't really been written about a lot I mean there are some good histories but in terms of fiction there's very little even in France so there's all this like big historical stuff going on and I thought you know I'll have a go at this it's very difficult it turns out but the way through it was just to focus on these characters who I loved very much and how it, how it would have affected their lives. They're not combatants. It's not a war book. It's not a book about fighting, but it is a book about how things can overturn, you know, civilian lives. And it's sort of the pressure of those events kind of forces them into being more themselves. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. And there are some big themes in the book, you know, gender, inequality, all sorts of things. Do you when you're starting a book, are the themes like bones that you then build the flesh of the story on? Or do the themes just come out as a result of the story that you want to write? Yeah, very much the latter. I don't think about themes and think I'm going to write a book foregrounding someone who's questioning their gender identity or anything, <laughs> anything like that. Yeah. It was the characters. And I suppose it's, I mean, it's very much, I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times, and it's, it's a sort of very big and amorphous subject. But when I was writing Anne, who, as I say, she starts out as a hysteric. So she's been kind of diagnosed as being, you know, weird and mentally ill. Um, and in fact, she's just really neurodiverse and has come from quite a difficult background. And I found that I was really writing about myself a lot of the time. And it's something I've discovered in the past few years is that, is that you know, I'm neurodiverse and... It was so liberating to write those parts of myself into this kind of historic context. That was really, yeah, an amazing journey. I People find it as exciting as I found it to write it because it really was. It was an amazing 
kind of process. We meet the three characters, as you mentioned, Anne, Lawrence and Ellis. Did they come to you as a group, the three of them already, or did Anne come first and and then Lawrence and Ellis? Uh, Well, actually, Lawrence came first because he is sort of, this is is a a slightly kind of ridiculous story that I kind of sometimes mention and then my agent says, maybe you shouldn't say that. It's actually the same as the character of Francis from The Tenderness of Wolves. So he is this young gay teenager. He grows up in the Canadian backwards and is caught up in this sort of murder in that book. This is not in any way a sequel. You don't need to know that. It doesn't matter. And the reason why he's not called Francis is basically because of television rights (laughs) and sort of the way things seem to be at the moment is like, well, you know, television companies, production companies and streamers are going to want, you know, sequel rights and prequel rights to all your characters if something is incredibly successful and they want to make prequels and sequels and kind of exploit that intellectual property for some years afterwards, however ridiculously unlikely that would be. So I was told that it would not be a good idea to be sort of preempting their exploitation rights. It's so ridiculous because you think, well, these are my characters. Surely I can do with them. I don't know. Anyway, so I was just like, well, I kind of wanted to change his name anyway as a sort of like he's reinventing himself, moving from this very rural sort of small restricted society to Paris, you know, the centre of the civilised world as it would have seemed to him then. So I just changed his name to Lawrence and they were like, okay, that's fine. (laughs) You can do that. But that's where he came from. So he sort of evolved like a Pokemon and changed his name. So he was there and the character of Ellis kind of came out of my obsession with the American poet Hart Crane. It's an amazing sort of life story and very tragic. So they sort of evolved separately or kind of Anne evolved a bit separately and they start out separately, but in the book they do they come together. And yes, it also sort of pivots around the the, the zoo, <laughs> the zoo in the Jardin des Plantes, partly because geographically it was like, seemed to be next door to everything. And when I, I write with a map above my desk and you could just not, you're going, okay, she's there's the Salpetriere on the left bank, and next door to it is the zoo. That's something I can't ignore. <laughs> um, and the story obviously of the you know what happens to the animals in the zoo during the siege of Paris is is such an extraordinary one that was a gift we had to include it well we come to the final question which is the most important one on this podcast Steph so please prepare yourself but the question is about biscuits what biscuit was powering the writing of the beasts of Paris <laughs> I don't think any biscuits were actually can I have a non-biscuits food item? I will allow that, yeah. Because I have as part of my routine as to as as a cafe I go to, which is particularly brilliant somehow for sitting, being left alone, and I'll always have the same thing, which is egg florentine. So I'll have that for lunch. And I've been there hundreds of times and I've never eaten anything else. And so when I eventually started chatting to the the manager, he said, I just call you Florentines because that's what you always have. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I love it. Love an egg Florentine. Well, it's just great to talk to you and hear more about the beasts of Paris. Steph Penny, thank you so much. Thank you. Next one, S.A. Cosby, All the Sinners Bleed. Wow. I've loved his previous book and this one. Well, let me read you the blurb. A black sheriff, a serial killer and a small town ready to burn. 
Titus Crown is the first black sheriff in the history of Charon County, Virginia. In recent decades, Charon has only had two murders. After years of working as an FBI agent, no one knows better than Titus that while his hometown might seem like a land of moonshine, cornbread and honeysuckle, secrets always fester under the surface. But a year to the day after Titus's election, a school teacher is killed by a former student. The student is then fatally shot by Titus's deputies. As Titus investigates the shootings, he unearths terrible crimes and a serial killer who's been hiding in plain sight, haunting the dirt lanes and woodland clearings of Charon. With the killer's possible connections to a local church and the town's harrowing history weighing on him, Titus tries to project confidence about closing the case while concealing a painful secret from his own past. At the same time, he also has to contend with a far-right group that wants to hold a parade in celebration of the town's Confederate history. Charon is Titus's home and his heart, but where faith and violence meets there will be a reckoning. Let's do the first few sentences for you. Charon County was founded in bloodshed and darkness, literally and figuratively. I don't think I need to read any more than that. Listen, this book is incredible. Yes, there are crimes that are horrible and you get the full gory detail of those, but there is so much passion and sort of controlled emotion it's about history and it's about guilt and it's about these amazing characters. I mean, Sean just writes books that I love. He is now definitely on my auto-buy list. What is he going to write next? I Well, whatever it is, I'm going to read it. It's an incredible book. S.A. Cosby, All the Sinners Bleed, amazing, truly amazing. And the next one, slightly different, The Fascination by Essie Fox. Let me read you the blurb of this one. And I don't mean it's different as in it's not good. It's just a very different type of story. Twin sisters Kezia and Tilly Lovell are identical in every way, except that Tilly hasn't grown a single inch since she was five, coerced into promoting their father's quack elixir as they tour the country fairgrounds. At the age of 15, the girls are sold to a mysterious Italian known as Captain. Theo is an orphan raised by his grandfather, Lord Seabrook, a man who has an interest in anatomical freaks and other curiosities, particularly the human kind. Resenting his grandson for his mother's death in childbirth, when Seabrook remarries and a new heir is produced, Theo is forced to leave home without a penny to his name. Theo finds employment in Dr Somerwell's Museum of Anatomy in London, and here he meets Captain and his theatrical family of performers, freaks and outcasts. But it is Theo's fascination with Tilly and Kezia that will lead all of them into a web of deceits, exposing the darkest secrets and threatening everything they know. Let's do the first few sentences of, of this. If you've seen some of the copies with sprayed edges, you will know how beautiful this book is. Anyway, here we go. Chapter one, an introduction to the monsters. Grandfather snatches at his arm and drags him through the study door. The boy has never been inside because the room is always locked, though he has often stood on tiptoe with one eye pressed to the keyhole, only to see a soup of shadows. But there are smells, and smells seep out. The ones that puddle round this door are wood and leather and vanilla from the pipe Grandfather smokes. Is that what stains his teeth so brown? Even the tips of his moustache and the tufts of bristle white that are sprouting from his ears. This is a great book. 
It's a very different one, set in Victorian England. It's about secrets. It, oh, and it's a Tima Renda book as well, so we love that. It's a very evocative book. It's got the characters that you love, and it's a super story. So, yes, bravo for that. And we're on to the final book, which is Forever Home by Graham Norton. As I mentioned earlier, I listened to this on audiobook. Let me read you the blurb. Actually, I think the blurb tells you too much. I'll read you a tiny bit of the blurb, but I don't want to read you too much. Carol is a divorce teacher living in a small town in Ireland, happy enough with the life she has, but a second chance at love brings her unexpected connection and joy. The new relationship sparks local gossip. What does a woman like her see in a man like that? What happened to his wife who abandoned him all those years ago? That's all you need to know. Oh, let's do first sentences. Sorry. No, we like that. OK. The back key of Ballytor was where things used to be. That grey building on the corner of Twomis Lane had been the Garda barracks long before it was upgraded to the glass and brick box up beside the hospital. Key's Hardware Shop. Sorry, this is terrible. I'm trying to pronounce all these words and I'm failing. Anyway, let's hope for the best. The back key of Ballator was where things used to be. That grey building on the corner of Twomis Lane had been the Garda barracks long before it was upgraded to the glass and brick box up beside the hospital. Key's Hardware Shop used to be housed in the big double-fronted stone premises, the name still legible above the large windows, smeared with the mysterious milky wash of abandoned shops. Few could remember it, but the tall, thin building with a narrow door had been the town's only bike shop. Now it just seemed to be awaiting its own collapse. Cleary's garage remained open, an apron of oil and grease spreading across the road, but these days most car owners gravitated towards one of the newer garages out on the Cork Road. Listen, I'm terrible at pronouncing all these words, so I apologise for that. The audiobook is narrated by Graham Norton. And I've enjoyed Graham's books before. You've heard me before talk about them. Enjoyed them very much. This is my favourite. This was brilliant. I wanted to keep listening to find out more. The characters are fantastic. Carol's mother is one example that I loved. And Graham just brings life to these characters as he narrates. It's joyful, funny, moving, sad. Don't read all of the blurb, I say, sorry, um, because I think it tells you too much. Just jump in and start listening or reading. I think it's a lovely book and I enjoyed it very much and I would love to return to some of the families and find out more about them. Bravo. Very good. Graham Norton, you can write. Who who knew? Well, I knew already, actually. I don't know why I'm saying who knew. Do you know, I am so hungry at this point. <laughs> I can barely get words out that make sense. I need to go and eat. It's 12 o'clock. I've not had breakfast. Come on, Philippa. Let's power through. Yes, we know Graham Norton can write. We already knew that. But this is another level in his writing. And I can't wait for his next book because it, they're just so wonderful to read and listen to. There we go. I've waffled. What books have I talked to you about today? I've talked about Fearless by M.W. Craven. Fabulous book. The Beast of Paris by Steph Penny. Great book. All the Sinners Bleed by S.A. Cosby. What a book. <laughs> I'm just saying all the books are great, but they are. 
maybe that's going to be the title this week. Anyway, The Fascination by Essie Fox, wonderful book. And finally, Forever Home by Graham Norton, fabulous book. Those are your books. I'm sending you on your way, but I will be back in two weeks. I hope you keep well. I'm sorry that there's a bit of a break. It's what I do just to get a bit of headspace, but I will be back. Do not worry. And how many books will I? Will I have taken 25 books on holiday? It's entirely possible. Will I have read them all on holiday? Again, it's entirely possible. We'll see. I'll let you know. Uh, Just stay well. I hope you're okay. I hope your summer is all right, uh, wherever in the world you are. And just look after yourselves. And I will see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.